Well, good morning and welcome to The Bridge and Meredith Drive. We are uh, combining our services this morning. and We are so glad that you have joined us, whether that be at 8.30, you early riser you, or at 10 o'clock, which is much more comfortable for me personally uh, and the time that I am used to uh, doing church. Either way, we're glad that you're with us here this morning. My name is Johnny. I'm the campus pastor for The Bridge. Uh, and a, in a little bit, you're going to see Pastor Gary once again. He's the campus pastor at Meredith Drive, and he's going to be leading us in communion. So I'm looking very much forward to that. Uh, when you're a kid, you really believe that your parents are the smartest people in the world. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, we had an encyclopedia in our house. Like, the old, like, they used to go door to door and sell these, like, 7,000 volume encyclopedias. We had one of those in our house, and it sat on our shelf. And I remember thinking, you don't have books on your shelf that you haven't read. And so clearly, my parents had read the whole encyclopedia, and they had all of that knowledge at their fingertips. Whatever question, a kid asks their parents, it seems like the parent always has the answer. Like the parent always knows. And when you're a kid, you just think, man, uh, my parents must be the smartest people in the world. Parents know everything. That's how it feels when you're a kid. And then you grow up and you become a parent yourself and you realize uh, something kind of hard. You realize that parents are frauds. We're frauds, you guys, okay? I don't know anything. My kids ask me stuff, and half the time, I'm just making up answers. Or, if I'm lucky, the question is just simple enough that I know the answer in the normal course of life, but it's not because I read an encyclopedia. And so we parents uh, carry this knowledge around within ourselves that our kids think that we are so smart and so strong, but really, we're just people, man. Uh, and sometimes it makes me feel like, a fraud. I, I'll be honest, every once in a while my kids will ask me a question and uh, I'm quick like Googling under the table while like, and I'm trying to like stall for time. Like, why is the sky blue? That's such a good question, honey. You're such a smart kid. Only a really smart kid would ask a question like that. It has to do with hydrogen molecules in the atmosphere. Um, we're frauds. We're frauds. Today, we are continuing our series through Galatians chapter 5, where it talks about what Paul refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. And this is the third uh, fruit that we're talking about this morning and the fourth week in the series. So I'm not going to rehash every single week what the fruit of the Spirit are all about. I would ask you, if you are just showing up for the first time and you don't know, uh, rewatch some of the sermons from before because we get into all of that good stuff. Today, we are talking about the third fruit that Paul lists in his letter to the Galatians, and that is peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. And I'm going to keep it 100% honest with you this morning. I feel like a huge fraud talking about peace with you today. I feel like when my kids ask me a question that I don't know the answer to, and I'm just trying to make something up on the fly uh, to get them you know, out of my hair, that's kind of how I feel talking about peace with you all this morning. Uh, you woke up this morning and you logged on to church and you got on the chat and you said hi to your friends and you sang along with the music uh, and sang along with Sean and now we're here and you're looking at your screen right now and you're hoping that I'll say something about peace, something that's challenging but also encouraging. Maybe if you laugh a little that wouldn't hurt, right? But something that you can hold on to about peace. And I'm sitting here in this room 
looking at this camera, feeling like I'm the last person in the world who should be giving a sermon about peace. Because I have felt woefully short on peace lately. I have not had a lot of peace in my life lately. I have felt a lot of angst lately. I've felt a lot of frustration lately. I've felt a lot of anxiousness lately. I've felt unsettled and uncomfortable and unsure lately. But I haven't had a ton of time in the past few months that I can look at and say, man, right then I felt at peace. And as I talk to my wife, and as I talk to my friends, and as I turn on the news and I watch what's happening in our society, it doesn't really seem like I'm alone in that. It kind of seems like nobody has peace. These are not peaceful times. I don't uh, want to list out all the points of conflict and tension and upheaval in our culture today because I think everybody watching is already acutely aware of those things. We're all acutely aware of what's going on. And I think it's fair to say that almost all of us are a little bit unsteady, both personally and culturally. And it feels like we're a long way from our ideas of what peace means in our lives. Peace feels uh, like a concept for a different time and a different day. Peace feels too far off to really get a hold of. These are unsteady moments, and I think we're all grasping to, to find a little bit and coming up short of peace. And so, with all that, we come to a passage this morning that tells us that a fruit of the Spirit is peace. And I think that it's normal and okay, maybe I just think that because it's something I've wondered, uh, but I think it's normal and okay to wonder, are we missing something here? Am I missing something here? Am I only 90% filled with the Spirit instead of 100% filled with the Spirit? Am I missing out on something that God has for me that I just am having difficulty accessing? What's the, what's the barrier between me and this idea of peace? Why can't I tap into this inner peace that the book of Galatians says is supposed to be part of life lived in the Spirit? Where is it? I'm wondering what is wrong. Is there some sort of block in my way to getting peace? So those were the questions that were rolling around in my mind this week as I thought about peace. And I thought about being a fraud up here talking about peace because it's something that I have not felt in a while. It's something I don't feel like I have myself. And all of that was rolling around in my mind and I was sitting in all of that feeling even less peaceful than before somehow because of the pressure of trying to talk about peace while I'm not experiencing peace. And I sat in all that and this passage kind of bubbled up to the surface of my mind. Um, the passage is in Matthew chapter 10. And Matthew chapter 10 is one of those passages that you're reading through the Bible and you run into and, and you're like, huh? 
Like, ever, you're reading your Bible and things are going good and then you run into a passage and it's just weird. Uh, Matthew 10 is one of those passages. And uh, I will be honest, I feel like we talk a lot about the weird passages at this church. This is, we don't play the hits at this station, do we, Sean? Uh, this is like we play the B-sides here at, uh, at the bridge. And so we talk about these weird passages, and today it's one of those weird passages. So Matthew chapter 10 is the story of Jesus sending out his disciples to continue the work that he has started with them. He's sending them out. And verse 1 of Matthew chapter 10 kind of sets the stage. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every kind of disease and sickness. So Jesus is saying, this is the work I've started. I want you now to go out and continue in that work. And before Jesus sends them out to continue in that work, he gives them a whole bunch of instructions that are meant to prepare them. And some of his instructions get, uh, I would say, pretty dark. So here's an example. Verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogue. Whoa, that's, that's nice. Thanks for the uh, preparation there. Verse 21, brother will be paid, betray brother to death and to father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. This is what Jesus is, these are the words he's about to send his disciples out. These are the words and the stories that Jesus is using to prepare them. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. These are the instructions. It's jarring, okay? It's jarring to read these things. And in the midst of all that jarring, strange talk that Jesus is doing, he says something to his disciples that maybe is the most jarring thing of all. Verse 34 of Matthew chapter 10. He says to his disciples, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, don't suppose that I have come to bring peace. I actually came bringing a sword. So this week I saw a quote uh, from an author named Austin Channing Brown, uh, and the quote struck me, uh, and I think it gets to some of the same things Jesus is talking about here. The quote says, I believe firmly that to practice love is to disrupt the status quo, which is masquerading as peace. Disrupt the status quo, masquerading as peace. This is what Jesus was getting at in Matthew chapter 10. He's telling his disciples that to follow him will necessarily mean disrupting the status quo. It will necessarily mean that their lives... And by extension, our lives as disciples of Jesus would look different. And that when we define peace as maintaining the normal order of things, when we define peace as maintaining the status quo, when we define peace as keeping things going and maintaining the cultural situation that we find ourselves in at all costs, when we define peace like that, we will find out that following Jesus is not a peaceful endeavor. 
when we define peace as maintaining the normal order of things, we will find out that truly following Jesus is not a peaceful thing to do. So this is a complicated and a difficult cultural moment because we are watching the normal order of things change all around us. The status quo, as it were, is cracking and buckling and shifting beneath our feet every single day. And that can be a scary, scary and anxiety-producing reality, especially for people like me, whose lives are part of the majority culture for whom the status quo has always worked pretty well. The status quo has worked for me. And this change in the status quo and this cultural moment and this cultural upheaval, it feels scary and anxiety producing. Why am I not having any peace? Why am I not having any peace? Because the way things are has worked well for me so far. And to see them change might indicate that something is going to change for me. But this prevent, presents a moment of opportunity for us. And it presents us with an opportunity to ask a hard question. Was the world that is changing really a world of peace? Or was it just the status quo masquerading as peace? So in John 14, uh, we find a different story of Jesus giving instructions to his disciples. This is Jesus' last instructions. He knows he's going to go be crucified. Uh, he knows he's going to die and that he'll, be, you know, he'll rise again, but soon he's going to be with the Father in heaven. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples for what life is going to look like after he is gone. And he's giving these instructions to them. And we get to verse 27 of John chapter 14. And Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not be troubled and don't let your heart be afraid. Peace I leave with you. I do not give to you as the world gives to you. So one of the greatest challenges, I really believe, for those of us who follow Jesus is recognizing and naming the difference between what the world gives us and what Jesus gives us. Jesus draws a distinction here. Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace, and it's not the peace that the world gives. I'm going to leave you with peace, and it's not the same thing as what the world is going to to offer you. And so what we have to do as followers of Jesus is create and find the distinctions between what Jesus has given to us and what the world has given to us. Because the ugly truth is that what the world gives to us and calls peace is all about white picket fences and manicured lawns. We think peace is good news on our TV sets and enough money in the bank to be comfortable. The peace that the world gives to us requires us to look away from the suffering of our neighbors in order to maintain a personal sense of tranquility. 
it, it basically says to us, the peace of the world says to us, as long as you and yours have a well-ordered life and are well taken care of and have a sense of tranquility within your walls, then you have peace. And what it asks us to do is not think about and not make connections to the way that we live our lives and the peace, the so-called peace that we have, what impact that peace has on those all around us. It asks us to say, I'm going to shut out the world outside. I'm going to shut out the cries of people who are telling me they don't have peace. I'm going to turn all that off. I'm not going to care about the implications of my neighbor. What I'm going to do is pursue peace, quote unquote, as much as I possibly can. And the world is saying it's peace as long as you aren't upset. That is not the peace that Jesus brings. And when we define peace in those ways, the words of Jesus look a whole lot more like a sword. So that's the question that we're left to ponder today. If you're like me and you feel like you haven't felt peace in months, then we, you and I, we need to ask ourselves if we've misdefined peace. Have we traded the peace of the Spirit, the peace that pushes us out into the world to demonstrate the love of Jesus, the peace that turns us into, as the Beatitudes talk about, peacemakers, in the world around us? Have we traded the peace of the Spirit for the peace of the world? Which really isn't peace at all. It's just the status quo masquerading as peace. I feel like I've gone all over the Bible today. I'm going to go one more place uh, as we prepare for communion. Uh, and it is in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus is, uh, is at the height of his popularity. I've probably preached about this before because I think this passage is so important to the story of Jesus and who Jesus was. John chapter 6, Jesus is at the height of his popularity. He's got people all around him. He's got disciples. It's not just the 12. It's hundreds of disciples. They've gathered around him. They're lit on the message of Jesus. We're going to change the world. This is the guy. He's going to do the things we want the Messiah to do. And Jesus has all these people around him. And then he starts talking about the bread and the blood. And he says, I am the bread of life. And he compares himself to the manna that the Israelites ate in the wilderness. And people are a little bit uncomfortable. They're a little bit, that's weird. Why is Jesus talking about manna? What's this bread of life stuff? And then Jesus just puts a fine point on it. Jesus says to all these people gathered, if you don't eat my flesh and if you don't drink my blood, then you have no part of me. What? These people are flabbergasted. What is this guy talking about? If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, we're not cannibals. Man, this is weird talk. And suddenly Jesus, who they had thought was going to be so good for them, turns out that maybe Jesus was actually carrying a little bit of a sword. 
Because Jesus has created now this moment of decision for people. Are you going to partake in me, the bread of life? And by partaking in me and partaking in my message and partaking in my life, are you going to follow me wherever I lead you? Or do you just want more of the status quo? Do you just want more of the fake peace that gets offered to you by the world? And Jesus draws a sharp line in the sand. And it says in John chapter 6, many people stopped following Jesus that day. They didn't want that. They did not want to go that far with Jesus. They liked what Jesus could do for them. They liked the idea that Jesus would win them battles and victories. But this idea of partaking in the blood and the body of Jesus and becoming one with Jesus and living this kind of way, it was too much. They were not interested and they left. And the whole story of John just changes right there. Jesus is riding this wave of popularity. Nothing can touch him. And then after that, it's all downhill until Jesus is crucified. Why am I bringing all that up? When we get together and we partake of these elements, we're restating that what we want is not the status quo, but it's Jesus. It's not the peace that the world offers to us, but that it's the peace that Jesus talked about in John 14. My peace I leave with you, not as the world gives to you, but my peace, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This is a peace that stands in the upheaval of our times. This is peace that we take together now in our, in our homes, on our couches, wherever we are. We take it together and we remember that the peace of Jesus transcends the peace of the world and that we are part of God's body and we are drinking of God's blood and becoming one with who God is and God's mission in the world. Do we want to be part of that? That's the decision we make every time we come to the table. And as Gary comes He's going to lead us into that decision once again. Think of those words today. Think of what's at stake as Gary talks about take, eat, and take, drink. And be part of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing in the world.